Chapter 5, Part 2 of Sin and Its Consequences by Henry Edward Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5, The Grace and Works of Penance, Part 2. Every sacrament, as you know, has an outward sign of inward grace. It has also what is called the form and the matter. What then is the form of penance? It is in these words, I absolve thee from thy sins. But who can forgive sins except God only? Is it the priest? Do you imagine for one moment that the Holy Catholic Church is, I will not say so superstitious, but is so dull of heart, so dark of understanding, as either to believe or teach that it is the man who absolves? It is the office that absolves. And what is the office? The priesthood of Jesus Christ himself. There are not two. There is but one priest and one priesthood. And the priesthood that we bear is the participation of that one priesthood of Jesus Christ himself. What we do, we do not of ourselves. It is he who does it by us. It is simply ministerial on our part. It is solely and entirely his act. When at the altar we say, this is my body, this is my blood, do we speak in our own name? Is it possible that anybody with Catholic books before them can be either so dull of sight or so dull of understanding? There is but one absolver, Jesus Christ himself. But he has ten thousand ministers on earth through whom he applies his precious blood to souls that are truly penitent. The act of absolution is his. Such, then, is the form. Next, what is the matter? There are two kinds of matter. There is the matter which is called remote, and the matter which is called proximate. The remote matter of the sacrament is the sins that we have committed. It is called remote for this reason. They may be the sins of our childhood a long way off, the sins of our youth long forgotten, but now at last remembered, the sins that we have committed and have long hesitated to confess, remote from the present moment, because they are a long way off in our past life, or if they were only of yesterday, still they are not present now. Proximate matter is that state of heart which we must bring with us at the moment, then and there. Now this remote matter is also of two kinds. First, there is the necessary matter, which we are bound to confess under the pain of eternal death. And there is what is called the voluntary matter, which it is good, wholesome, safe, and better to confess, though it is not of absolute necessity. Now the first means all mortal sins committed after baptism as we know of no revealed way in which the mortal original sin in which we are born can be absolved except by baptism, 
so we know of no other revealed way whereby mortal actual sins committed after baptism can be absolved save only by the sacrament of penance you will remember the principles which i laid down in the first and second of these subjects on which i have spoken to you how that one mortal sin separates the soul from god a soul separated from god is dead and therefore it is a necessity that every mortal sin we have committed should be confessed and absolved the voluntary matter is our venial sins as to venial sins there are two reasons why it is good to confess them the first is because as i showed you venial sins may easily pass into mortal sins sometimes through the self-love which is in us we do not distinguish between them and we consider what god knows and sees to be mortal to be only venial and in this we may make dangerous mistakes again to promote humility self-accusation sorrow and therefore the grace of perseverance and to renew our peace with god it is good to accuse ourselves of everything we know we have committed even in the least even in the sins of omission of which i lately spoke it is safer better and more wholesome to confess our sins of omission and to ask god to forgive them nevertheless it is quite true that these sins being venial are not of necessary confession well proximate matter means the state of the heart if any man were to kneel down in the confessional and accuse himself without sorrow for his sins he would commit another sin it would be an act of sin in itself it would be a sacrilege to come and receive that sacrament without the proper dispositions that is without being worthy and the man who has no sorrow for sin is not worthy next there must be a state of the will if a man come and ask for pardon even were he to accuse himself perfectly without having a resolved purpose not to sin again that man would commit a sacrilege therefore the heart and mind must be sorrowful and the will resolved not to commit sin again you will say how can a man say this knowing his weakness and instability the answer is that if any man sincerely resolves not to sin and is conscious of his own weakness and afraid of it that is a true and a good resolution and god will accept it even though afterwards through suddenness or subtlety of temptation he should be cast down at the time he was perfectly sincere in his resolutions and that is all that god requires next the sacrament of penance has three effects the first is that it absolves or looses the soul from the bond of sin we are using metaphors to bind and to loose is a metaphor what is it that binds a soul it is the sin and what is the sin i told you in the beginning 
it is the variance or the opposition of the will against god it is the crookedness and perversity of the will it is the palsy of the heart the darkness of the conscience this is the bond of sin and the sacrament of penance gives the grace of the holy ghost and it is the holy spirit of god which brings the will back to god by a change wrought upon the will itself the second effect of the sacrament of penance is that it infuses grace that is to say a man in mortal sin comes to his confession without charity without the love of god for this reason that a man in a state of mortal sin no longer has charity or the love of god charity or the love of god is the life of the soul and if he had this life he would not be in mortal sin the commission of mortal sin extinguishes the charity and love of god in him and the soul dies for that reason he therefore when he comes to accuse himself has nothing left in his soul but hope and faith he hopes to be pardoned and he believes that god will pardon him if his confession be good in that act of self-accusation when he receives his absolution the grace of charity is restored to him the life of the soul is given back he is united with god once more he possesses faith hope and charity as he did in his baptism as he did before he fell for the sacrament puts him back again into the state of grace as at first thirdly it does something further it restores the soul to its previous condition you remember that i told you some time ago that if any man had lived a life of faith charity piety generosity and good works and afterwards fell into one mortal sin all those fruits would be dead upon the tree because the tree itself was dead but when he is restored to grace all those fruits that were once dead revive with the tree also the leaves expand once more in their tenderness and freshness and the fruits are once more ripe upon the bough all the acts of the past life which were mortified and lost by one mortal sin come to life again and when they are restored to life the merit of every such act and you remember what i told you merit is the link between the action and the reward constituted by the promise of god in his free and sovereign grace all this merit likewise is restored and with this also the powers of the soul are renewed the soul in mortal sin has lost its grace its conscience was blind its ear was deaf and its will was weak like as our divine lord in his miracles opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf straightened the feet of the lame and made the man with the withered hand to stretch it out like the other 
so when the soul is restored by absolution and grace in the sacrament of penance the powers of the soul are again restored you see then what the sacrament of penance is it is the grace of penance enlarged multiplied assured brought within the reach of men offered all the day long within the power of everybody that which in the beginning was all over the world in one sense but unseen and secret now is embodied visibly in the sacrament of grace that men may know where to find the fountain in which they may wash and be clean i can say but few words more when he instituted in our behalf this holy sacrament out of the tenderness of his love and the superabundance of his grace to sinners our divine lord imposed no limit whatever to its efficacy it is like his own precious blood it is powerful and omnipotent to cleanse all sin he sets no limit there is indeed a limit as i will show you but it is not god who imposes it there is no sin of any kind howsoever deep dark black as midnight and often committed nothing so inveterate nothing which in the sight of god is so hateful nothing which to the soul of man is so deadly that there cannot be absolution for it in the sacrament of penance do not for one moment imagine that you have sinned beyond the power of pardon there is no man who hears me whatever his sin may have been who if he will turn and repent and accuse himself with sorrow shall not be washed as white as snow next there is no kind of sin that is beyond the reach of absolution there is no number of sins howsoever frequent which shall not be pardoned though a man were to go on all his life long sinning day and night repeating sins over and over again yet repenting of them on his deathbed the precious blood shall wash him white as snow our divine lord has said that if our brother offend against us seventy times seven and that in one day and turn and repent we are to forgive him luke chapter seventeen verse four in saying that he used a form of speech to show there is no number there is no numerical limit there can only be a moral limit and a moral limit there is but what is it i said before all sin and all blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men save only the blasphemy of the holy ghost that shall never be forgiven in this world or in the world to come matthew chapter twelve verse thirty one but what is this blasphemy of the holy ghost it is the resistance of the known truth it is the refusal of the grace of penance it is the outrage done to the absolver himself the giver of life and that by the impenitence of the sinner the one only sin which is beyond the reach of absolution 
the one only sin which the precious blood cannot absolve is the sin that is not repented of that is the sole and only sin that shall not be washed as white as snow finally as our divine lord has set no limit to his forgiveness and as the limit is set by man and by man only through his own impenitence so our divine saviour has attached to this grant of his pardon only those conditions without which he would cease to be what he is holy just true and merciful if he were to require more he would require more than we can do if he were to require less he would violate his own divine perfections the sacrament of penance is the precious blood and the pardon of the precious blood let down within the reach of the lowest sinner lower it cannot be for it is within the reach of all the conditions which are attached to it are four in number the first is that we be sorry he would cease to be god he would cease to be just holy and pure if he were to forgive those who are not sorry for their sins who still love them and are therefore at variance with him and at variance with his perfections secondly we must come to him if the prodigal had lingered in the far country his father could not have fallen on his neck if mary magdalene had not broken into the midst of that banquet she would not have heard the words of her absolution we then must come to him he has commanded us to come he has said i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me john chapter fourteen verse six and the way he has ordained for penitents to come to him is in self-accusation in the sacrament of penance thirdly when we come to him we must accuse ourselves honestly truly sincerely there must be no excusing no painting of the face we cannot paint the heart and god looks at the heart and not at the countenance our accusation must be truthful to the very last every mortal sin that we have committed from our earliest childhood so far as we remember it must be at some time confessed before it can be absolved it is not requiring much of the sinner that he should come and say what is his disease that he should show his wounds and his miseries and the symptoms of death that are upon him the physician requires no more for healing and he can require no less lastly he requires of us a steadfast resolution to sin no more and to avoid the occasions of sin of which i will speak hereafter that is a steadfast change of the will retracting the variance and the opposition of the will against his will and the sincere resolution to offend him no more less than this he could not require and more than this 
he does not. Here are the four conditions. Sorrow for having offended him, the coming to him in his own way, true self-accusation, and steadfast resolution to sin no more. O dear brethren, anticipate the day of judgment. Be beforehand with it. That day is coming, inevitably coming, as the rising of tomorrow's sun. The day is not far off when the great white throne will be set up, and we shall stand before him, and the eyes that are as a flame of fire will search us through and through. And not his eyes alone, but the eyes of all men will be upon us, and the ears of men will hear that which the accuser will say against us in that day. There will be no secrecy then, no hiding of our sins, nothing concealed from God or from that multitude which is around the great white throne. What does he require of you now? The great white throne is veiled in his mercy. In the holy sacrament of penance, he sits as the judge, not arrayed in the splendors which will dazzle and blind us at the last day, but as the good shepherd and as the good physician, the friend of sinners, who is come not to call the just, but sinners to repentance. There he sits in his mercy. Come to him then, one by one. Be beforehand with the day of judgment. That which you confess now will be blotted out and forgiven in that day. That which you hide now will be in the book of God's remembrance, laid up for a record in the day of the greatest eyes. It is not much he requires of us to come and tell it in the ear of one man in his stead, a man bound under a seal, which if he were to break, he would commit a mortal sin of sacrilege, a seal which no priest would break, even if it cost him his life upon the spot. If it be painful to you, if shame cover your face, offer up the pain and the shame as a part of the penance, as Mary Magdalene in the midst of that great banquet. It is precisely for this purpose that the salutary pain may be the medicine of our pride. Dear brethren, then be beforehand with the day of judgment, while the day of grace lasts and come to him as you are. Do not say, I must wait. Do not say, I cannot come with all my sins upon me, stained as I am, covered from head to foot with spots crimson as blood. I cannot come as I am. Let me wait a little while. I shall be better and fitter hereafter. Do not reason thus with yourselves. These are the whispers of the enemy, who desires to stand between you and your absolution. Come with all your sins upon you, though they are more numerous than the hairs of your head, though they are black as night, though they are beyond all count and all measure. Come just as you are. If you have a mortal sickness, would you put off going to the physician until the symptoms are abated? The more intense and threatening the symptoms, 
the faster you will go for counsel and for healing. Do not say to yourselves, I am so hard-hearted, I have not a tear, I have not the feeling of sorrow. How can you if you are in sin? It is sin that hardens the heart and dries the eyes. In the sacrament of penance, the grace of the Holy Ghost will give you both sorrow and the emotion of sorrow. Do not say, I am so unstable. If I were pardoned today, I should fall tomorrow. Are you more likely to stand tomorrow because you will not be forgiven today? Oh, no. Dear brethren, whatever be your sins, how many, how guilty soever, come with them all like the poor woman who touched the hem of his garment, like the poor prodigal, barefooted and ragged, when he came back to his father's house. Come as you are, and do not lose time. Time and grace are God's gift. We know not how long they may last. At this moment, the sacred heart of Jesus bleeds for you on the cross yearns for you in heaven the father who saw the prodigal afar off and who ran to meet him is the pledge and the earnest of that yearning fervent love and thirsting desire with which jesus is waiting to forgive you every soul washed in the precious blood is a joy to the good shepherd he knows what is stirring in you he has seen the stings of your conscience. He has seen the wavering of your will. He has seen the good impulses that have been prompting you. He knows the temptations that are keeping you back and the aspirations that have been lifting you up towards him, the longing for strength and courage to cast yourself at his feet and make your peace with him he knows all this dear brethren do not resist him take heed lest you quench those emotions of grace that are within you how long how long how long shall he wait for you remember his own words there is joy in heaven over one sinner doing penance more than over ninety-nine just persons that need no repentance. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. End of chapter 5, part 2.